0: Welcome to the Big Ideas Monday mini-series, brought to you by the For Your Innovation podcast. Big Ideas is meant to enlighten investors on the long-term impact of innovation. This annual research report seeks to highlight the technological breakthroughs evolving today and creating the potential for super exponential growth tomorrow. We believe that innovation is taking off now, corroborating our original research and boosting our confidence that ARK strategies are on the right side of change. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Max. I cover fintech at ARC and also co-lead ARK's Venture Capital Effort. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you about our new research in the era of fintech, more specifically in the area of digital wallets. And you've heard us talk about digital wallets maybe over the past couple of years as well. So we have some new research for Big Ideas 2023 um, that's a little bit more specific and goes really deep in one area um, in, in, in the space of digital wallets which is closed loop transactions. So I'm very excited to talk to you about um, the potential and opportunity associated with closed loop transactions, which we think could really move the needle, not only for digital wallets, but also for a lot of incumbents. Um, so with that being said, we can dive right into the deck um, and start here on on the first slide. Um, and before maybe actually diving into the numbers on, on the first slide, we can take a moment and, and zoom out um, and just mention what, what, we, or what we at ARC think of uh, when we talk about digital wallets. Um, so in short, uh, we think digital wallets are something like uh, a bank branch in your pocket or purse. Um, they are apps on your phone, on your smartphone, that enable you to not only engage with financial products, such as a checking account or a debit card, or a investment product, but also to other kind of non-financial commercial products. Um, So uh, many digital wallets around the world uh, offer their their users access to e-commerce, ride hailing, um, all kinds of other kind of more generally commercially focused uh, products and services. Um, And with that being said, as you can see here on the chart, digital wallets really have been gaining a share um, of payment transactions specifically over the past couple of years. So starting on the left side here of the chart of, of, uh, of, the, of the slide on the left side chart, you can see that digital wallets now penetrate nearly half of the global e-commerce volume. That's up from less than 20% just a few years ago in 2016. And you can see that in 2017, there was an inflection point where digital wallets surpassed credit cards as a number one uh, payment transaction method globally. And since then, just has been continuously um, kind of rising. Um, And you see also there was another kind of tick up um, in 2020 and 2021, where um, the COVID pandemic helped uh, digital wallets to of penetrate even more of uh, online e-commerce uh, volumes. You see that uh, kind of that rise around 2017, 2018, um, that's especially driven by the use of digital wallets in Asia, uh, sp- specifically China with WeChat Pay and Alipay, which we're going to get into later. Um, but as as we'll also get into later, we'll, we'll see that the digital wallet phenomenon really is a global one with a lot of exciting companies building huge user bases and also merchant bases all around the globe. Now, on the right side, on on the right chart, you can see that digital wallets also have been penetrating offline payments. And you had an inflection point in 2020 and 2021, where digital wallets became the number one payment method of offline transaction as well, of point of sale or POS uh, transactions as well. like for online transactions but probably even more than for online transactions um the the vault the kind of the the the, the rise in, in the volume and penetration of digital wallets really was helped by the covid pandemic um where consumer habits shifted from from physical to digital um and although the the latest point of um of data that we have here is 2021 um it's worth noting that You know, we we did see this increase, um, especially in the offline, but also in the the online sphere in 2020. And then you see a continuous rise in 2021, which we believe is very interesting and and, and important in this context, because it suggests that, you know, this move that was kind of forced by the COVID pandemic um, for consumers to shift from from, uh, physical to digital, from offline to online, there was not just a kind of temporary phenomenon. But it's more of a secular trend because we can see it also, um, you know, holding true until the end of 2021, when around the globe a lot of um, a lot of uh, governments actually eased the restrictions associated with with COVID. Uh, a lot of them also touching on on payments as well. Um, so with that being sa- said, and really the the stage um, being being set. We can also dive into here on the next slide uh, a little bit more um, in the actual numbers um, around the, the number of users. Now, starting on the left here, we, we estimate that in the US, there are roughly 160 million active unique digital wallet users. That's nearly half of the US population. And um, we think that in the US, the, the kind of three big players in the digital wallet market are Blocks, Cash App. PayPal's Venmo, and you can really also throw Apple's uh, Apple Pay in there. Cash App and Venmo each have roughly 80 million active users, although there's a fair amount of overlap between the user bases of the two uh, wallets and actually other wallets as well, which is why we present on this slide the number of unique uh, digital wallet users that we estimate. Um, To put that into perspective, it took JP Morgan roughly 30 years and five acquisitions to reach roughly 65 million deposit accounts, whereas Cash App and Venmo grew to roughly 80 million active users in just around um, 10 years. Now, it's important to mention here as well that it's kind of looking at the user profile and kind of value and um, kind of uh, potential um, or, or exi- kind of a current monetization of um, of these different types of users. Uh, the JP Morgan, the average JP Morgan deposit account user today uh, is a little bit more, more mature, um, generates more revenue for the bank. But from our perspective, where Cash App and, and Venmo and others, um, you can also kind of mention you know, private companies such as Chime here in the US, HM Bradley, a lot of other players in the market. What they've done really well is build a massive user base Uh, through very, very low customer acquisition costs, really in the kind of uh, 10, 20, uh, um, sometimes up to $50 range for Cash App, actually very low, though, $10, $10, $20, Um, whereas traditional incumbents pay a lot, lot higher acquisition costs and also have kind of legacy branch infrastructure and other things to support that really pushes up these costs. So, Although maybe today um, a Cash App or Venmo user is not as monetized as a J.P. Morgan user, um, first of all, there isn't there aren't that much costs associated with kind of making them profitable compared to a to a traditional bank user. But they now um, the digital wallets now have this opportunity to really up and cross sell these users into all kinds of different financial products and also other commercial products. Um, and and really drive that monetization. And we're seeing this nicely as an example uh, with Block in the U.S. where it kind of started out with P2P payments, um, you know, which are free and, you know, not, not being monetized, but then expanded into a debit card. Now Cash App Pay, which we'll talk about later, um, an investment product, a lending product, a Buy Now, Pay Later product. They're adding e-commerce on top. So kind of really building the stack and and, and building on on this uh, kind of low customer acquisition costs, really driving that monetization curve. So that's what's happening in the U.S. from a user uh, number of user perspective. You can also look globally, and here's here's I think where it's also very exciting. Where um, globally, we we believe there are more than three billion digital wallet users, unique digital wallet users, um, up up roughly one billion uh, since 2016, and. We think that over over the next couple of years, um, so so in twenty thirty, we think there will be over five billion digital wallet users, which will equal roughly sixty five percent of the world's population. Um, we believe, and and really the vast majority of um, uh, adult smartphone users. Um, so all in all, digital wallets are are growing their user bases at a never seen before and, and rapid pace. Um, that's yeah, unprecedented in the financial services industry. What's interesting, though, and we're jumping to the next slide here, is that um, digital wallets have not only kind of signed up and accumulated these billions of users on the consumer side, so with consumers using them, but they've also created um, and they've they've attracted uh, really millions of merchants. And created strong merchant user base uh, user bases as well. And you can see a few example here a few examples here on the slide. You have the Alipay China uh, example with over a billion users on the platform, eighty million merchants. We've talked about Block Block formerly Square, you know, coming from the merchant side, coming from the business side. Um, has over 7 million merchants. Now with the acquisition of Afterpay added a lot more on the online side as well, and then has over 80 million annual active consumers. Um, other examples in Japan, you have PayPay, um, over 50 million consumers, nearly 20 million merchants. You can go into emerging markets as well, though. We feature Caspi, um, a, a digital wallet in Kazakhstan here with 12 million users actually a large part of the the population of Kazakhstan, um, nearly half a million merchants. You can also think about other emerging market uh, examples like Nubank in in Latin America, Brazil more specifically, that is building out uh, um, an e-commerce business as well with a lot of merchants. So you have this interesting development where the the digital wallets are not only onboarding these billions, millions and billions of of users, but also um, millions of merchants and now the interesting opportunity, and you can see this featured here on the right side um, of the kind of of the chart here with the iPhone screenshot, um, is that these these digital wallets have now the opportunity to connect the merchant and the consumer ecosystem and essentially facilitate transactions between them, offline or online transactions Um where no other intermediary is part of that transaction. Um, and that's really what we're going to dive into now over the next couple of slides. Um, the, the, the opportunity that's associated with creating these so-called closed-loop transactions, where there's a closed loop between the merchant and the consumer, because the digital wallet interfaces with both the merchant and the consumer and can directly facilitate a transaction without having to pull in other Parties such as card networks or banks or or other other third parties into this into this uh, transaction. So, jumping to the next slide, um, we we can dive a little bit deeper um, and and talk about traditionally how these transactions normally work in a in an open loop um, in an open loop setup. Open loop meaning. That there is, that there are a number of of um, other parties involved, especially card networks. Um, so open loop transactions are normally referred to as the transactions that run through, especially Visa and Mastercards, but could also be other um, card network rails, which um, inter- yeah, kind of integrate with with all kinds of um, b- businesses, especially around the around the world. Um, and you can see here on the left side of the chart um, that those transactions are pretty complex. So we picture here nine steps um, that happen uh, between the transaction of a buyer and a seller, um, where a buyer is first interfacing with a payment service provider. That could be, you know, a, a FIS or a FISERF or um, it's kind of square um, of the world or an ad or a stripe um, that's essentially kind of interfacing with the with the with the consumer and the merchant um, who's then sending kind of the the, the the consumers or the buyers payment information to an acquirer, which um, could be Chase Payment Tech or or um, another bank owned or, or third party entity. Um, that that entity is then sending the information the buyer's information to the card networks um they're passing it through to the issuer which is the issuing bank the the consumer's bank where the consumer's kind of debit and credit card is linked to an account um that bank then checks kind of with the consumer or kind of internally um does that person have enough money you know on that account essentially to for for this transaction to work um And then the the chain kind of goes back, um, and the issuer again, kind of transmits information to the card network, the card network to the acquirer, the acquirer to the payments, uh, the the PSP, the payment service provider. And if everything checks out, um, then that information is transmitted to the seller. um, And then the transaction is complete. So a lot of steps here, a lot of parties involved. um, And with a lot of parties being involved, um, also, a high cost, because each one of those parties, and in some instances it could even uh, be more parties than this, um, each of those parties is taking a cut. Um, and that cut, you've seen this probably before, um, that cut is somewhere between two and three percent for more for most transactions, especially kind of uh, transactions for SMBs, um, where businesses have to pay two to three percent you know, for debit or credit card transactions. And then it gets even more complicated. Um, Some types of credit or debit cards, you know, know, charge higher fees than others. Uh, But it's really the networks, the card networks that are setting these fees. Um, Interestingly, the majority of those fees actually go to the issuing bank. So to the consumer's bank, um, where the the card originally came from. Um, But all in all, it's 2% to 3%. Now, what could this what could this process look like in a closed loop transaction well it could look very different and that's what we're looking at here on the right side of the chart um we're essentially essentially looking at a scenario where the number of parties involved is really cut down to three parties the consumer the merchant and the digital wallet the digital wallet uh, is interfacing with both the consumer and the merchant directly so, what would happen in this scenario is that the consumer, the buyer, already has funds saved in their digital wallet that they could use to pay for the transaction. So, in a in a kind of a practical context, if you know if you're using a Cash App or a Venmo or using Apple Pay, if there's already money in your account, and this also applies to Alipay in China and all kinds of other digital wallets around the world. If there's already um, money in your account, uh, there's a balance um, through which you can, or from which you can fund a transaction. Um, And the merchant that you're buying, you know, good or service from also is part of the network of of the digital wallet. The digital wallet can essentially take that money from your account Um, and send it over to the merchant without any other third party um, really being involved because there's no debit or credit card being involved because you already have money on on your account. Um, So there's no, no reason for the whole circle that we just went through to kind of start with the acquirer and the card network and the issuing bank. All those parties are essentially removed from the process. So what's left is, like I said, you, the buyer, the digital wallet, and the seller. There might be some instances where the digital wallet is still using a third party to interface with the seller to kind of broaden their network. Um, but even in that case, if the transaction is you know, not coming from a debit or a credit card, but it's coming from the balance in your app, then there's no network involved, um, no, no car network involved, no bank, uh, no issuing bank involved. So. All in all, what that means is that the the costs for such a transact for such a transaction would be dramatically lower. Um, so we kind of mentioned here on this slide that um, up to two point four percent can be saved because again, there's no no card network, no bank, no acquirer being involved that's taking their cut. Um, now it's important to note that you know those cost savings might. know could go to different parties that are involved It could go to actually you know one of the three parties that that we just discussed so it could go to the buyer it could go to the digital wallet or it could go to the seller and we think it's likely that um you know different digital wallets will take different approaches here might you know completely you know give the give give the savings to the buyer in order to incentivize you know that that transaction um could could give it to the to the seller Um, you know, to maybe, uh, you know, better compete with other payment, payment offering payment offerings that are, you know, charging higher fees, that could be an option, or they're taking, you know, more of it for themselves. And that's what we're going to talk about here on the next slide, um, where you see a practical example of what could happen if the digital wallet captures, um, captures, you know, most of those savings so kind of the 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 merchant um really here or sorry the the digital wallet provider really is at an interesting position here because uh the closed loop transaction really could boost the margin structure right so we um we already discussed uh, generally payment processing for credit and debit cards you know costs 2 to 3% now with the closed loop transactions with the closed loop transaction where you know in that in that cycle, there's no card network, there's no bank, through to which um, the most of these two to three percent are flowing. The margin structure for the, the the payment service provider could be a could be a block, could be a stripe, could be others, um, would be you know radically different. You can see this here on the chart where um, you know Square uh, pays sixty percent of the transaction fees that they charge to their merchants to those third parties that we talked about for the interchange fees, assessment fees, the networks, processing, bank settlement fees um, to pay all the third parties that are that are involved. A closed loop transaction, although that cuts out all these involved parties, could roughly double the take rate, as you can see on the right side of the chart. Now, again, you know, we want to mention that the uh, cost savings here um, you know, might accrue to the digital wallet to to, in this example, to block, but it could also accrue to the consumer or the merchant, again in order to incentivize the adoption um, of a closed loop payments um, method. So, kind of having drawn that picture, um, kind of talking through the the, the traditional process, the, the the opportunity for a closed loop process and how it could work, what would actually be the, the impact of closed loop transactions in the current kind of payments ecosystem and uh, for digital wallets in particular? Well, according to our research, roughly 40%, 36% actually of consumption related payments, both online and offline at point of sale, globally are facilitated by digital wallets. Um, 10% of which already today are closed-loop. And the majority of those closed-loop payments um, actually happen in China, where this is already happening. And um, a large portion of the transactions that are happening on the Alipay and, and WeChat Pay apps, where a consumer is buying something from a merchant, actually is already funded by the balance that that consumer has already in their WeChat Pay or Alipay accounts. So because the the person already has a balance in their accounts, when they make a transaction, that transaction is funded by the account balance and not by a linked debit card or credit card or linked bank account or, or, or something like that. So in China, this is already in many cases a reality where the transactions already are closed loop, or in other words, are balance funded. Now, big picture again, we think in 2030, digital wallets will have double the share um, of, of offline and online payments and actually will be responsible for two-thirds, um, not roughly 40%, of consumption-related payments. Uh, and we, we think that the split between closed-loop and open-loop will be you know, roughly half and half. So 33% open-loop, um, 33% uh, closed-loop. Now, we believe that those closed-loop digital wallet transactions will generate nearly $50 billion in cost savings. We've talked about the cost savings and kind of how how they come to be um, in over, over the last couple of slides. That can accrue, those, those, those $50 billion in cost savings can accrue to the digital platforms, the consumers, or the merchants. But either way, will truly disintermediate, in our view, the revenue of payment incumbents, such as the credit, um, such as the card networks with credit and debit cards, but also importantly, banks that, that, that earn fees on the credit and uh, uh, debit transactions, but also other associated um, fee revenues associated with just with cards generally. So all in all, um, digital wallets are growing rapidly. They have assembled billions of consumers and millions of merchants on their platforms. And now they're at a position where they can close the loop and leverage the user bases that they have, um, many of of which are storing in many cases already, um, you know, meaningful amounts of money on these apps and close the loop and facilitate direct transactions um, that are balance funded outside of traditional credit and debit cards between the users. And the millions and millions of merchants that they have on their platforms. And through that we believe that they can generate 50 billion dollars in cost savings over the next eight years, really eating into the revenue pool of old world incumbents. So with that being said, um, we really thank you for 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 tuning in and and listening to um, this short presentation about the digital wallet section of the big ideas 2023. If you haven't checked out the full presentation, we really encourage you to do so. Um, All the team at at ARC has done an amazing job, um, really kind of displaying and and going deeply into different areas of our research. So you can find the Big Ideas 2023 report on arc-invest.com and you'll kind of easily find uh, the Big Ideas section on there, it's highlighted. So we'll really encourage you to do that. And always reach out if you have any questions about our fintech research, our digital wallet research, always very happy to engage. Um, So with that being said, thank you so much for listening and talk soon.
0: ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results.